Welcome to Breaking Bread, keep you in the loop to what's going on around you. I'm Terry Page. She's run her own law firm and was awarded the Super Lawyer Rising Star Award, which is reserved for the top 20 or actually the, half, the top 2.5% of North Carolina attorneys. She was awarded the Commitment to Justice Award for continued representation of domestic violence survivors. Having been recognized by the North Carolina Supreme Court, my next guest was inducted into North Carolina Pro Bono Honor Society for providing 50 hours of pro bono legal services in 2018. She is a North Carolina certified family financial mediator, a certified parent coordinator, arbitrator, attorney, and community advocate. Linda Moen, welcome to Breaking Bread. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you here. Uh, many citizens um, have, well, they don't have interactions with the, the court system uh, in terms of firsthand experience. Uh, for those people going on the, to the polls on March 3rd, can you give us some basics? For example, what are some of the duties of a circuit court judge and why should voters care? Thanks, thanks, Terry. I'm glad to be here. And uh, for district court has six different types of courtrooms. We have criminal court for misdemeanor crimes, civil court for issues of less than $25,000, family law court, juvenile, which is for foster kids and for folks under 18 who get in trouble with the police, involuntary commitments, and then we also have domestic violence and child support court. Okay, that's, uh, that's quite a bit going on there. So if elected, uh, what can we expect from your courtroom? Well, I, um, I have practiced law in Charlotte for the past eight years. I've practiced in every district court, courtroom in Mecklenburg County and several other counties in the Superior Court and also the North Carolina Court of Appeals. So I've had the opportunity to experience judges who are compassionate, who are fair, who let people be heard who let people have their time in court to say what they need to say and then make a fair decision. And I expect myself to follow their example to be a judge who helps people get through the court system in an efficient way, but still have their time to be heard and to um, feel, hopefully, that it's a fair decision. It sounds like you've had quite a bit of experience as an attorney, of course, in practicing law. How would you take that experience? How would that carry over into a courtroom as a judge, let's say? That's a great question. In North Carolina, there's no requirement for district court judges to have practiced in district court. So sometimes we um, have judges who are appointed or elected in district court who have not practiced in district court much or at all. And in my case, for the past eight years, almost all of my clients have been in district court. And that means that I have represented over 700 people in the past eight years, and I've walked through them with this process. I see what happens when they have to have their case continued and now they have to try to get another day off work because a judge is late for court or a judge doesn't handle cases efficiently and help keep the docket moving. I've seen what happens whenever um, my clients have had to borrow money just to have a trial and then they wait for six or eight months just to get the decision back from the judge. I think those sort of experiences help me understand how important it will be for me to do my job in a way to remember that I'm serving people who are really relying on me to do my job to the best of my ability as quickly as possible. Yeah, there's a lot of money involved. And I saw that, and again, people who maybe who were coming in this for the first time, they may not understand, let's say the judge, there's an hour delay, they have to pay for the attorney and other fees, right? Yeah, yeah. So many times we have um, kind of quick hearings. Once a month, we'll have what's called motions day, 
or maybe our hearing will only be 15 or 20 minutes, but there might be 20 cases that are on that morning docket. So we kind of have to wait our turn to be heard. So if a judge is an hour late and every person is paying their attorney $300 an hour to be there, everybody in that courtroom, that's 20 attorneys being paid $300 an hour to do nothing but wait. I don't think that's fair. And um, many of our judges are on time. Some judges, you can set your watch by the fact they're going to walk in at 9 o'clock. And if you're at 9 5, you're late. And that's how I run my courtroom. If, um, if, if I'm elected and I'm lucky enough to be a district court judge, I'm never late. I'm on time, and I would do that for the citizens of North Carolina, of Mecklenburg County. Okay. Now, to be clear, as far as that timing goes, could it could the judge be late because there's another court case in front of it? Something like that happens that that takes the case behind it a little bit later. Yeah. So that's a great question. So, in, in most of my experiences in family court, and and our family court judges um, in Mecklenburg County, we have 21 district court judges. Seven of them are in family law, so a, thousand, or a third of our judges are in domestic court. Each of those judges is assigned to a specific courtroom. So, um, so all of their cases will be heard in that courtroom. So what I mean is everybody will be in courtroom you know, four, and they're all on the eighth floor, so they're like 8150, for example, or 8130. We'll all be there at 9 o'clock, and sometimes the judge won't be there until 10 o'clock. And... Um, and if the judge is assigned to family court during that week, they're not assigned to another courtroom. I see. We are breaking bread with attorney Lynn Mowen, candidate for district court judge. I attempted to reach out to your opponent, Judge Aretha Blake, but have not heard back. However, WBTV recently conducted an investigation on Judge Blake, claim, claiming upwards of 50 cases more than two years old have not received a ruling. The report also contains your opponent who assumed... Uh, the bench 2016 has only worked 14 eight-hour days out of 74 working days. To be fair, she did request a retraction of the story. Also reached out to WBTV, and I haven't seen any retraction. What's the average turnaround for, let's say, a child support or child custody case? Also, what sort of hours are we talking in terms of what a district court judge would experience? That's a great question. So Judge Judge Blake was elected in November of 16. She started in family court in January of 17. She was in family court for Janu- uh, all of 2017 and all of 2018. And then uh, was well moved to juvenile court in 2019. Uh, w, uh, WBTV did a story, um, I think it was February 6th. Mm-hmm. February and, 6th. And, um, and uh, yesterday and this morning on WFAE, the reporter that did that story was on their morning talk show and um, and stands by a story. And also, and, and that report, I heard him, It's I think it's on their, um, their Facebook page or their website. Uh, based on what he said when he talked to court personnel, um, they, they reported that the average time is three months. And that's been my experience. Some judges... If, it, if it's a month, we, we wonder what's going on because they're so fast. But honestly, I tell my clients two or three months is what is average for a family law case. Many, many times we get the decision of the judge the day we're in trial. And then the attorneys, um, so I would, for example, take what the judge told us and go to my office and actually type the order up and then submit the order to the judge. The judge has to review it and sign it is what usually happens. So that was um, that's been my experience with court. And I, what was your second question? Uh, no, I mean you pretty much answered it. It was just like really the, the timeline. But you said month and and with the um, 
yeah. what would have been designed that day. So yeah, and I'll just I'll just add, and you know, in 2018, we had a, a judge um, here in Mecklenburg County who had one order that was uh, two years old um, that was reported to the Judicial Standards Committee, and um, that was Judge Chapman. He's now retired, and uh, he uh, he was censured by the Judicial Standards Committee for one for one case that was two years old. Lynn, is there anything um, anything you'd like to add? Yeah, just just one thing. Um, you mentioned the news story that was brought up. One thing that was in the news story that was pretty technical that that I think is significant is that he, he addressed a a, uh, a court order that was entered by the Court of Appeals called a writ of mandamus, and that's an important part of of what caused me to run. And I'll tell you why because the Court of Appeals. Um, a writ of mandamus is a court order ordering a public official to do their job. And before that, um, you know, if, if I had a case that took a long time or a different attorney had a case that took a long time, we're all really busy. We don't have time to sit around and talk about how long cases take. When the Court of Appeals, um, this is the only district court judge that we have in Mecklenburg County that's ever had the Court of Appeals order this. And, and I believe that it's one, it might be the only writ of mandamus entered in North Carolina in 2018. If not, it's one of only a couple. So that's very significant because at that point is when the family law attorneys started comparing notes and realizing that I have a case or you have a case or you have two or three. And we started realizing that at that point that there were dozens of cases. And, and that's when we as a community of attorneys started realizing that that it might be necessary for somebody to run. And so at that point is when I started running, um, talking to my family about running and, and, and thinking about running, talking to um, colleagues. And I, and I talked to um, district court judges about whether I wanted to understand the job. Am I going to like this job when I get it? You know, and, um, and, and so that was all a year ago. And so that was way, way, way before this story broke. And I've been very intentional over the past year of not saying any public negative comments about my opponent. I don't believe in that. Um, but this is an, a significant part of this race, this writ, because it's, um, it, it's a court order telling her to do something that now this news story is reporting that she isn't doing. And, and so I just want to, uh, to clarify that's sort of been lost in a lot of the discussion about the not, how many cases. Honestly, I don't know how many cases it is. I don't know if if the reporter's right, it's 52, maybe it's 40, maybe it's three. Even if it's one, one family is waiting um, for, for a child support order for two years is, is still not okay. So I just wanted to add that. Okay, let's talk about that, that one case, if you would. You're still talking a financial impact from that family, correct, from that waiting period? Yes, so part of the story that, uh, that they ran there was a woman who, just for your purposes, I don't know who that was. It wasn't my client who was talking on the news story. But she was saying that she had her trial uh, years ago, and she's racked up debt that she didn't need. Anytime you have an attorney follow up with a judge, write a letter, write an email, go to the courthouse, you're paying that attorney to do it every single time. So you rack up all of these fees that are um, that are just unnecessary, too. And it's a huge impact, Um it's just a, it's a huge impact. I, I had one case in 2017 where my client was awarded um, spousal support for six months. It took us eight months to get the order. I had to write four letters to the, to the judge to try to get the court order. Um, that PSS order cost three times more than they usually do for people. Wow. 
the, the attorney's fees were more than the spousal support she was awarded. And that was my first experience that I didn't really talk to colleagues about because, like I said, you just you just go with it and say, well, this must be an anomaly. Sure. But then when the writ of mandamus was entered is when we all start. And then that was in July of 18, and then um, she was moved to juvenile court. Uh, now, the run for a district court judge wasn't always partisan. Uh, what happened in 2000, 2017 that changed that? And if you win, what does that mean for your opponent and yourself? Um, so, yeah, so in 2017, the legislature changed uh, changed it so we're both Democrats. So if we win, whoever wins the March 3rd primary will run unopposed in November. There's no Republican seeking this particular seat. There are two other races that are contested where it's a Democrat versus Republican, and those will be on the November ballot. Um, so for me, I, I have the law firm that I started right out of law school that I have that has employees and has clients. Um, and I, if I win March 3rd, then I'll have from March 3rd until January to, um, to, to kind of close up that. Uh, my, par- my paralegal that I have is wonderful. She has about 20 years of experience, and, it, and it's funny. She's worked for three attorneys. One of her um, former uh, attorneys that she worked for is, is a judge. <laughs> so yeah. this this uh, she's been through this once before, and she supports my race. She's going to help me on election day. She's been a huge advocate for me and um, and a good friend, and I appreciate that. Well, it's good to have people, good people in your corner, right? Yes, absolutely. Everybody yeah. needs good people in their corner. You discussed publicly uh, you have some reservations in regards to running against a fellow Democrat. Yes. Uh, why is that? You know, I was raised a Democrat. My my grandma, I joke, it's not really a joke, at her funeral, the minister told the story that the minister came to her house to give her communion. And um, before my grandma would take communion from her, she asked her political affiliation. And really, <laughs> my grandma, or the minister said that she said, well, I'm a Republican. And my grandma said, well, I'll pray for you. So I am, I come from a long line of strong Democrats, a lot of long, long line of strong Democratic women. And I consider myself a strong Democratic woman, and um, I believe in Democrats, and I believe um, I have a lot of supporters who are independents, I'll say that, and I have a lot of supporters who are Republicans, and I think this particular job is, um, I'm not there to be a Democrat or Republican in a courtroom, I'll say that, but I also believe in, in supporting um, supporting candidates that, that, that you believe in. I tend to support Democratic candidates, so I was hesitant to, to run against another Democrat, but... I really feel strongly that that this is a job interview, and that um, that results matter, that experience matters, and that the people in the courtroom um, aren't there because they want to be there. It's like the emergency room; you're there because you need something, and you need it right now. And everybody, there's a cross section of our of our community in the courtroom, just like the emergency room. And uh, I'm running because I believe people need help right now. Okay, yeah, and that's why I was asking a question earlier because it doesn't seem. To me, as a judge, like a partisan position, if you would, and that's why I looked at that decision in 2017, I'm like, I'm thinking, well, why would they do that? Because it seems like if the person like yourself wants to serve the community and be a judge, then that's what you would do, whether you're Democrat or Republican. Right. The, legisla- the legislature made the law change. Yeah, I saw that. And speaking of that, early voting is taking place. Uh, the Charlotte Observer reports on a racial dispute at the uh, Betty's Ford library the publication contends that one of your workers was there and that the incident was racially motivated could you shed some uh, light on the inside of that dispute yeah first of all, i want to make sure it's clear that it, i was not there so i know what my volunteer told me i know um what i read in the newspaper um 
and I saw that my volunteer was quoted in the newspaper, and it was um, it's my understanding that that my um, that my volunteer is an African American woman who's um, I don't want to get it wrong. I think she's in her sixties or seventies. But in case she hears that and I'm wrong, I'm sorry. No. <laughs> um, but uh, but she and she volunteers in a lot of races. She's volunteered in a lot of judicial races. She's a really good um, volunteer in, in our system and. And knows that, it, you know, sometimes people, emotions run high with um, elections. And, and she knows that if her emotions run high to, to go inside and get somebody in the precinct, and that's what she did. Um, and it's my understanding that she was talking to a voter about me. Um, and there were statements said to, along the lines of um, not to vote for me because I'm white. Interesting. I'll tell you what. Wow. Well, the primary is March 3rd. Yes. Okay. And I understand it, the way the contested work March 3rd, once that's done, then you're in or you're out, right? That's right. Yeah. So if I win uh, March 3rd, the primary, then I go unopposed in November. I'll still be on the ballot in November and I would start January 1st, 2021. How about that? Well, why should voters cast their ballot for Lynn Moen? Voters should vote for me because I have the endorsement of the Mecklenburg County Public Defender, uh, uh, Kevin Tully. I have the endorsement of most family law attorneys in Mecklenburg County, many law firms in Mecklenburg County, a lot of community advocates who have come to know me. I, I'm running because I, I see a problem. And I started thinking about running in uh, 2018 was whenever we started realizing that there was a problem. And I, I'm running because, you know, I started my career working for the U.S. Navy as a public servant. Um, I was a civilian for the U.S. Navy for five years. I really enjoyed being a public servant. Um, you know, I, I'm willing to to take this law firm that I've built that's, that's successful um, and close it down in order to serve the people in Mecklenburg County. I, I work very hard. You know, I, I went through law school. When I started law school, my kids were three and seven. And... Um, and I, I went to law school and I, I interned for the district attorney's office. I interned for the Council for Children's Rights, for Duke Energy, and for a civil, uh, civil litigation law firm. I graduated a semester early and I graduated first in my class um, when my kids were five and nine. I, I know how to work hard. And, and I know that if I sign up to do something, I do it. And if people are relying on me, they can rely on me. And everybody in my life knows that. And, um, and that includes this job. How about that? Okay, remember, I'm an outside looking in, okay, the courtroom, this sort of thing. And I'm thinking you actually um, would do cases in your opponent's courtroom, right, and you're now running against her. What would that be like? I have the respect of um, many, many, many attorneys. Um, you mean after this? I, I wouldn't be in front of her. Is that what you mean? No, I'm just being like right now, um, like you, you guys are running against one. Well, yeah, you're running against one another. But you also would, as an attorney, would preside in her courtroom, correct? Not after this election. Okay. Yeah, once, um, once somebody runs against an incumbent judge, even if the person loses, they're not allowed to be in their courtroom for a, a cool-off period, which is usually 12 months. It depends on how the race goes. Maybe it's longer. <laughs> um, but no, I wouldn't be. I have been in her courtroom, um, and, and I don't know her personally. I, I don't... Um, you know, I believe she's a nice person. I know she's a very smart woman. I know she's done great community work in our community. Um, and so this is not an assassination of her character at all. Um, this is really about what's going on in this job. 
And, and I think that what's going on in this job, I think that I should be given an opportunity to, to try to do this in a way that I think it could be done. Okay. Yeah. And one reason I want to speak with you today is a lot of people don't pay attention to the judge race, but it's very important, of course. Yeah. So that's why we want to make sure that people understand, hey, you know, you may not be directly affected, but it is affecting a lot of people. And it's important that we get the right person on that bench. And what I tell people is, you know, it doesn't, maybe it doesn't affect you. Maybe it affects your brother or maybe it affects your church member or or your neighbor or maybe even your child's friend's parents are getting divorced and, um, and, or maybe you get a speeding ticket or, or you maybe somebody steals something from you, or maybe you're accused of something and you didn't do anything wrong. All of those are district court judges would, would touch you. You know, um, a little known fact is, (sighs) Um, of, of all the people that work in the public system, police officers have the, um, the highest, uh, um, they touch your constitutional rights more than any other public official, police officers. After that, it's a district court judge. And district court judges have a lot of discretion. They hear thousands of cases a year. I think in, I think I watched a podcast of my opponent the other day, and I think she said in 2017 she had 2,000 cases or something. Um, it's thousands of cases, and and I know that I can handle that. Linda Mullen, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Our theme music was composed by Ludwig van Beethoven. Follow us on Twitter at BreakinBread101. That's break the letter N as in November, Bread101. Or catch us on Instagram, BreakinBread101. Visit our website, BreakinBread.biz. Rick and Bread is a production of Artists for the People, created by Terry Page, produced by Terry Page. Success is when opportunity meets preparation. Until next time.